Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Have you ever seen the classic movie, Yours, Mine, and Ours? It's a heartwarming story of a blended family, 18 adorable children with Lucille Ball and Henry Fonda playing the doting parents. And now, author Tom Norris, as the 11th child of the 20 Beardsley children made famous in this film, Yours, Mine, and Ours, lifts the curtain in his autobiography, True North, The Shocking Truth About Yours, Mine, and Ours. Tom says real life in the North Beardsley home was not a heartwarming story with a happy Hollywood ending. It is, however, an inspirational story of survival and hope. Paula, I love inspirational stories. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show. I'm Taz. And I'm Paula. Tom North is a writer, poet, and adventurer. He captivates audiences on TV and radio, speaks at schools and humanitarian organizations. His book, Interweaves, Making Light of a Heavy Subject, Entertaining and Funny, Sometimes Serious but Always Moving and Inspiring. Tom brings a fresh approach to a very captivating and stoic problem. Tom's background brought before him his mission, and this is to reach out to people who feel isolated or misunderstood in the world and help them understand that they are not alone and that most everyone feels the same way. Tom says the, the more an individual experiences his own divinity and essential nature, the more they will actually relate to humanity and see the beauty in the world and not pain. That is just a special, special thing for people to realize. Paula, Tom North was the 11th child. Wow. That's a major number in numerology for enlightenment. Tom has definitely been chosen for this journey. Tom North, we are so lifted and energized to have you with us today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, we're really pleased to share your story with people. I mean, it's very important to have out there. Thank you. you. So what you, What actually happened to your family? I mean, I know your, your uh, biological father passed away. How old were you when that happened? I was six years old. 
And he was a Navy aviator who was flying experimental aircraft in the post-Korean War uh, Pacific. And he crashed in a training exercise and was killed, leaving my mother with, with uh, seven children, and, and she was pregnant. Wow. Wow. I bet, I bet your mother went through um, some depression during that time. You know, I think that's a really interesting observation because not only did she go through depression, she, with so many children, she really didn't have an opportunity to grieve. And so she, uh, she was in a position of having to, uh, to basically bury her feelings and give birth to another child and, and carry on with life. And, and so uh, I talk about that in the book, uh, True North, The Shocking Truth About Yours, Mine, and Ours. She was in just survival mode, I sounds like. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So uh the interesting thing is is that fifteen months after my father died, she met and remarried. Uh she married Frank Beardsley, who had ten children, and of course by this time she had eight children. And the story was picked up in the the media of the day and carried in the newspapers where Lucille Ball saw the story and wanted to make a movie about the combination of these two large families. And so Yours, Mine, and Ours came out in 1968. Uh, They were married uh, in 1961. Uh, And Lucy was involved with her Broadway career at the time. So she didn't start making the movie until 1965. And it was uh, released in 1968. It was the the fourth highest grossing film of 1968. Hmm. So did she actually, she produced and directed it? Yes, she did. It was made yes, wow. by Des Studios. And the interesting uh, the twist to that was that, of course, we know that, that actors often go to the locations to... Uh, to learn the character that they're going to play. And so Lucio Ball came to Carmel, California, where we lived, and met my mother and stepfather. And very shortly thereafter, she took my mother aside and she said, you keep that man away from me. Oh, I got a chill and, from that one. Yeah, yeah. me too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, it was a very interesting dynamic. Uh, my mother shared that with me uh, later in life. And Lucy picked up on his energy right away, and, and he was psychotic. And so my mother married him because she was afraid that he was going to kill his children. When she met his children, she saw ten kids living in terror for their lives. Oh, and my God. Yeah, those were her words, not mine. And and she felt that the only thing she could do to save them was marry him and save his children from him and save him from himself. And she But then, but then you were involved. <laughs> well, that now that, that and that's something that came to your mind right away and it never occurred to her. Never occurred to her. So well, she that's a- Pardon? That's a doorstopper. 
I mean, well, that's... it is. It's a really strange sets of, set of circumstances. All of her relatives told her, after meeting Frank Beardsley, told her, don't do this, do not marry that man, and, and don't take your eight children into a dangerous environment, but she wouldn't listen to them. Uh, she, her script in life was that of the Irish Catholic martyr. And so she felt that the most important thing you can do is uh, is save people. And yeah. So she, yeah, she tried. Wow, she was really an empath for children. Well, she was, uh, and it was she, the, the the dichotomy was is that she was a very positive influence in the lives of the Beardsley children, and yeah. she was really a breath of fresh air. The the other side of it is is that she did take her own eight children into a, a dangerous environment, and she abandoned them there, and so we were left to fend for ourselves. Well, even if the environment was pleasant, that many children, n- no one gets any attention except for maybe the one that's sick or needs it right now. You know, right. Attention, and, but. Yes, and so that's a really good observation. Do you come from a large family? No, but I've been around large families where I see them not getting attention that they should be getting. Yes, and and that's a really uh, important observation because it's tough enough to raise one or two or three children, but there are not arms enough to to reach around 20 children, and there are not ears enough to hear them, and there are not eyes enough to see them. Uh, and, And so the parents were in a position, as you were saying earlier, of survival mode all the time. And so the children really were fending for themselves. Now, I, I read the book about Ethel Kennedy and the Kennedys. She even had files on her children to be able to keep up with, with them. So when and, I read that, that's, I thought, that's kind of an interesting arm's length relationship there. Yes. But it's something. Did so, you get a chance to talk with your mother at all? Um, in the later years and look back at everything that went forth? So what, yes, quite a bit, actually. And because I, I was asking her as, as I became an adult and began to think more objectively about the whole process, the question that came to my mind was the question that came to your mind, Taz, a moment ago, and that was, what was she thinking? Uh, yeah. And and so she she answered that by saying, "Well, uh, I couldn't abandon those children to them to to this man because I was afraid he was going to kill them." And and so uh, she felt that that was the right thing to do was was to step in and try and save these children. Uh, well, how did he how did he treat her personally? You know, there's a there's a chapter in the book, in the middle of the book, where it, it's called the 25 cent solution, and 25 cents was the cost of a bullet, and I came very close to killing him uh, because he was that bad, and I felt that I would be saving the family from further abuse. 
and I did not do that. Uh, but in that in that chapter, um, I talk about how if he had physically abused my mother the way he physically abused everyone else, I would have killed him. Uh, but I, when I, and, and it's kind of an interesting, it's probably the most dramatic chapter in the book. Uh, but I was, I had a vision as I had my 357 Magnum uh, behind my back with my thumb on the hammer and my finger on the trigger. And I was letting myself into their bedroom at 2 a.m. in the morning. And I had fully intended to, to kill him. And what happened is that I had a vision. The minute I put my hand on the doorknob, I had a vision of what would happen as a consequence of, of, of shooting him. And what would happen is that the world would condemn me not for killing Frank Beardsley, but for killing Henry Fonda, who played, who played, yes, who played Frank Beardsley in the film. And that was the only image that the world had of Frank Beardsley. Thank goodness you had that because otherwise you wouldn't be here. Um, right. You know, right. helping that's, all these people so, that you're helping. Yeah, it's so so true. So my 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 guides were watching out for me and said, "Oh yeah, you want to do that? Well, this is what's going to happen." And I had this vision and I saw it instantly, and I thought, "Oh my God, I can't do this." And so I turned around and went back to bed, and that was the end of my my murderous intention. So, uh, very interesting. Did any of the other, did any of the other children in the fa- your family have this same feeling? Like well, they wanted to kill him? Or I would imagine that they did at one time or another. My my younger sister characterized him as an ultraviolent, alcoholic, misogynistic pedophile and that's a terrible string of words to put together but that's what he was and so, so he was for other children to have that feeling yeah would be normal oh wow so not only was he abusive he was a pedophile well he was yes he felt that he had the right to insinuate himself into the sexual lives of each of the girls and there were 12 of them, as they uh, approached or reached puberty. And that's exactly what he did. It so, just makes um, me want to cry. Oh, my God. You know, oh, it, um, does. it does. I can't tell you how many tears I cried writing this book. Yeah. Uh, it was very difficult. And, and, and yet, on the other side, very cathartic and very therapeutic at the same time. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of authors tell us that when they write a book yeah. about their own story, that it's it's a healing process you go through while you're writing. Correct, correct. And when I was researching the writing of memoir, I came across an article written by a literature professor who said, if you're going to write memoir, uh, he said, remember, if the writer don't cry, the reader don't cry. And that was very powerful for me. And so I realized that I was going to have to put my heart and soul into this book. And so 
So it was very, very emotional. When what did you actually? Did you I was going to ask what feedback did you get from your um, siblings? So there are there are four of the siblings who are Norths. They're all my blood brothers and sisters, who were very happy that I wrote this book. They said that they had felt uh, that I represented them very well and that they would like to have done it themselves, but they didn't have the writing skills. And so uh, they were, but they were thrilled that I wrote the book. Uh, the other 15 are not happy with me at all. Uh, all of the Beardsleys are unhappy with me, and several of the North children would rather that I not have written this book. Wow. That's amazing because they went through complete um, uh, upheaval as well, and yet yes. they had that feeling. I I wonder how how differently they think that it, it's amazing. It's just like how is it they can think so differently? Have you had any uh, feedback? No doubt you have. And what is the feedback? that they would not want you to do this or because it brings their name before the public or what happened that they yeah, would rather. And, and, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because the, the Beardsley children uh, all, um, you know, when you look at the, the North children, there were eight of us. And, and so there were 12 that were either Beardsleys or uh, from the combination of, of Frank Beardsley and Helen North. And so uh, the, uh, the the bottom line is is that each and every one of them has their own perspective on the experiences that we all shared. Yeah. And many of them have had a great deal of difficulty coming to grips with this. And so for me to put this into the public domain uh, is is very difficult for them because they haven't even been able to talk to themselves about it, let alone talk to other people about it. So well, it they're not happy with it. Yeah, yeah, they're very embarrassed. Yeah. Very yeah. embarrassed. So I, my feeling time, is... Maybe in time you will be nurturing. I, You know, in the fact of being able, you, you bring a green before them to be able to help analyze or help work through their feelings. So in time, it it could be very, very good for them, you know, to be able to, to look at that and, and help them bring out one, one aspect after another instead of having it all buried, you know. And, and you just said the right word buried and they've been trying to bury this their whole adult lives so what this book has done at the very least is it has stimulated conversation and and so the associated emotions that come up with that conversation are very healing and so the more they talk about it the more they're going to to get to what's going on within them Interestingly, in chapters 26 and 27, uh, they, I wrote about the family therapy sessions that we all went through in 1989. And my brother had called me and said, uh, you know, Tom, he said, I'm, I'm a mess. 
I can't keep a relationship going. And three therapists have told me that my issues arose in a family context and need to be resolved in a family context. So would you help me put together a family therapy session? And I said, Phil, think of the scale that you're talking about here. If we had four or five people in the family, that would be one thing. But you're talking about getting 20 people into a room to discuss matters that they've been trying to bury their whole adult lives. And his response was, are you going to help me or not? And I said, are you kidding? I wouldn't miss this for the world. <laughs> and so I put, up. Oh, yeah. And, and so I, I was some, something of the family organizer, and so I put it together. And for the next three months, we spent 60 hours um, in, in family therapy, uh, going over one issue after another as everyone got their opportunity. And it was incredibly healing and very powerful in the cleansing process for this family. Well, did were they, they all? Did they all? Uh, did they all decide to be uh, go along with this, or were there some that didn't well, want to? Yeah. So what happened is I sent a letter out to everyone, inviting them to the first ever Beardsley family healing session, and I said there are some of your brothers and sisters who have issues stemming from their childhood traumas and would like uh, to to get some help. And so if you feel that you don't have issues to deal with, come and support your brothers and sisters who do. Ooh. So it's kind of a, oh, wow. a, t- a catch-22 letter. It's here's an opportunity for you to do some work on yourself if you want it. And if you don't show up, you're a jerk. And, and so that's really what the letter said. And so we got eight people at the first session. And we went 10 hours on Saturday and 10 hours on Sunday. And it was so powerful and so positive that we decided to do it again. And so we went out and proselytized to the rest of the family. And the next month, we got 14 to show up. And we went 10 hours on Saturday and 10 hours on Sunday. And we had a wonderful therapist uh, who was just as good as we could ask for. Um, and and, she, and and in retrospect, she was terribly underpaid for her work. Um, but we, in the third session, the third month, the parents actually came. So we, we had 16 people out of a possible 22. There were four of the girls who were born-again Christians, and they felt that this was the devil's work. And then we had uh, one of the male members of the family had Uh, issues of his own uh, stemming from his abuse of the women in the family and he didn't want to come and face the music so uh, he didn't come but everyone else came and it was very positive for them I was thinking when I was reading your book I thought this would be a great movie but I could see how complicated it would be to make a movie because you'd have to when you have to get permission from all of them to do it? Yes, yeah. I don't know how. Very, diff- very difficult. Yeah. yeah. But the, what, what, yeah. A, what a movie that could make. It could be done, uh, but as you say, it would be very difficult and, and, uh, and hard to get people's permission. Um, 
and, and it, that br- it brings up an issue. You know, you can deal with issues or you can not deal with issues. And if you don't deal with the issues that stem from adverse childhood experiences, they will manifest in the physiology as disease. There was a study done by the Center for Disease Control in conjunction with Kaiser Permanente Hospitals. And they surveyed over 15,000 recipients of government-sponsored health care. And they queried them for their, their, basically their emotional history. And they found that these people who had these, it's called the ACE study, ACE stands for Adverse Childhood Experience. And they found that anyone who responded and had three or more adverse childhood experiences, and there were a possible 12, but if you had three or more and you were 40 years of age or older, the incidence of adult onset disease, and specifically autoimmune diseases, was 100%. Wow. Think about that for a moment. Well, that explains. <clears throat> I have a girlfriend um, who found her father that committed suicide, and she was the one that found him. And so, and she now has lupus. So. Well, there you go. So there's an autoimmune yep. disease that mm-hmm. that uh, you know the the psychologists and the people who did the ACE study would say may very well be related to an adverse childhood experience that wasn't dealt with because the memory is in our entire body. It's not just in our heads. And so it turns into disease. And so what that tells us is that we don't have a choice. We either deal with these issues and, and uh, release the electrical charge that is associated with that emotion, or we suffer disease if we don't. Hmm. How long did it take you to write this book? It took me two years. And then it took me another, roughly another year to rewrite it, because after finishing the, the manuscript, I sent it to all the family members, at the at the uh, suggestion of my therapist, wow. and she said, she said, you know, these people have been subjected to surprise abuse their whole adult lives. And she said, don't you do that to them uh, by publishing this without their knowledge. So send it to them and give them an opportunity to give you feedback. So I sent it to all the family members, and many of the Beardsleys offered to sue me if I published and the others said, uh, you have to take me out of the book. So I did. So I rewrote it for the next year. And then the question became, would it be a viable piece of literature without them? And I managed to accomplish that. So you could, you, you could write around it, but still get the same message through. <laughs> exactly. Hmm. When did you actually begin viewing these aspects in your life enough to be able to really dig deep within you to to know this would be as um, a healing aspect for you to do? 
you know, how old were you when this began for you? Well, you know, I have been in therapy since I was 17 years old. And I knew that the environment I grew up in was not healthy and that it would do damage to my psychology and, and, and my general well-being. And so I started working on this when I was 17 years old. I was a drug addict as a teenager in my efforts to self-medicate. Uh, and uh, when I was 22 years old, I began practicing transcendental meditation uh, as another form of therapy. And so I have continued to work on this my entire adult life. I've been in and out of individual therapy and, and counseling. My wife and I have gone many times uh, just because I've needed a lot of help along the way. And, and it has been a wonderful, magical journey of self-discovery. So I am, in that sense, grateful to my history for guiding me in that path. Yeah, it seems like uh, when we're born, uh, we choose our place in life so that we can actually do our mission. I mean, I'm just stating a belief I have, but um, but I see it so often. Yes. Are, are you a, a therapist? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. You're just an alert human being. Well, when we do come well, into you... life, uh, it's my belief system, too, that, you know, we come in and we are placed in circumstances and um and we grow in certain ways and um and our nose gets bumped in different directions and if we can be able to look at those aspects and um begin to understand ourselves how we feel about certain things that i mean it becomes a a, a grow a growth in spiritualness for our own being and then to be able to open up and include humanity in the way that you have in this way it's an enlightenment allowing others to be able to go deeper within themselves so it's, it becomes a mission it literally is a mission to um to heal help heal humanity uh yeah you know i i if I could break in there for a moment, I think you've characterized that perfectly. Uh, I've gotten a tremendous amount of feedback, uh, hundreds of emails and, and dozens and dozens of comments from people who have read the book. And what they've said is, is that, well, this is what it means to me. Because for each person who reads the story, what's really important to them is is how it impacts and and uh, affects their own life and their own history and their own personal narrative. And so they might say, well, this aspect of the story or that aspect of the story had meaning for me. And based on that, I'm taking this action in my life. And uh, and so there has been a tremendous amount of positive response from readers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I wanted to say, though, that... Go ahead. Go ahead. You had a question. No, go ahead. I think what you it's I'm kind of out of order for my question, so go ahead. Okay. Well, I, I was just going to say that 
that uh, based on the family therapy sessions, uh, many of us agreed that we would no longer support the fantasy of yours, mine, and ours. And so in subsequent social conversation, when people would ask me, well, how similar to real life was the movie? If it was appropriate, I would share the real story. And, and the listeners would say, oh, that's a book. You have to write a book. And I, I dismissed that out of hand and just said, oh, no, no, that's too hot of a topic. I'm not going to write a book. But several of those people came back to me over the years and said, you know, based on what you shared with me about your family therapy sessions, I went and addressed issues in my own family, and I got closure. So thank you for sharing that with me because it made a huge difference in my life. Yeah. And I realized that this story was helping people. And so I thought, you know, I better write that book. And so in 2008, I sat down to write the book. Yeah. And, also, and you know, when, when you help yourself, um, you help everybody in your family. I mean, you don't even have to talk to them, actually. It's just by helping yourself, it puts together a, a, one link that can uh, actually grow to another link. So I, people that read the book and they have families and, they can, and they're working on themselves, they can see how working on themselves can help everybody in the family. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say it's a new feeling of hope. It gives people hope to think, oh, my God, maybe I can open the door within my within my area and within my structure and and make a difference within your own family. Uh, I, it's it's really beautiful, actually. Um, and there, you had so much work to go through, and the aspects that you did, it's just, um, you're brilliant uh, in the delivery that you've brought forth. Well, it's, I was it's gonna go been... Back. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to go backwards a little say, bit. Uh, yeah, your it, grandparents. It, yeah. Your biological grandparents, you were separated from them and not allowed to yeah. speak to them. When were you able to reunite with them? Well, they were allowed to come around for the first few years of uh, my experience with the, the Beardsley family. But eventually, Frank Beardsley's jealousy became so uh, so overbearing that he banned them from our home and and so they were no longer able to come around uh, as were many of my mother's brothers and sisters who were banned from coming around uh, because they saw what was going on in the house and they objected and and so Frank Beardsley said y- you know you're not welcome here um, so, uh, and it was a long time. In fact, I was uh, 23 when um, I finally reconnected with my grandfather, uh, who's my, my father's father. And uh, my grandmother had passed away by then. But it was a really, and I write about that event, the, my reconnecting with my grandfather in the book. And uh, it was a very tearful reunion, uh, but it was a wonderful one. 
Uh, that was wonderful that you were able to do that. What about your mother's parents? Uh, my mother's parents, her mother died at the age of um, 60, and um, she had had 10 children, and uh, her lost her circulation through varicose veins and, and childbirth. Um, interestingly, my mother was had 10 children and was headed for a wheelchair at the age of 60 for all the same reasons, so she was repeating the pattern. And um, so I write about that in the book and how uh, that was, uh, uh, we were able to avert that repeating of the pattern um, through um, some very interesting dynamics. But I'll let your read, your listeners read that in the book. <laughs> well, I have to say that we were um, giving a preview of your book and I couldn't put it down. I just... I mean, the way you, you write, it just brings you into the story. <clears throat> so I Well, thank you. Thank you. That's uh, always music to an author's ears. <laughs> <laughs> Why are healthy relationships with family and relatives so important to psychological well-being of children, especially for boy and men? Would you? Oh, you know, that's such a great question, and I think the answer is is that is that it's so important as we develop our own personal and family narrative, our sense of identity develops on a daily basis. And if we don't have some positive input into that story, as we are reflecting on that story subconsciously on a regular basis, and I mean moment to moment, we are either reinforcing a positive self-image or a negative self-image. And that's why the relationships are so important. I think you were specific about boy and men. What about women and and, uh, girls? And absolutely, it's the same dynamic at work there. I mean, each of us as a human being uh, develops a sense of identity as we mature. And the feedback that we get from our environment is critically important to that sense of self. And I wrote about that in, the, in, in True North, The Shocking Truth About Yours, Mine, and Ours, as I made the transition from being a North to being a Beardsley and lost all sense of self-worth, anything that I had once had, was shattered. Yeah. And so for girls and for the girls in the in the family, it was even worse. Uh, so we either, as I say, re, we either reinforce a positive self-image or we, we reinforce a negative self-image. Yeah. And it, it's just, uh, I can't say enough about that. It's just too important to give children a positive set of information to work from. And as adults, um, women, um, I'm in a woman's group, so we were just discussing this, a book club. And uh, women uh, get together and they talk and they support each other. Men don't have that as much. I mean, as an adult. (laughs) Yes, you know, I just finished 47 weeks. Actually, it's, it's been a year now 
but at the end of 2013, I finished 47 weeks of a program called Breakthrough for Men. And Breakthrough for Men exists only here on the Monterey Peninsula. There are other similar groups elsewhere in the country, but that particular one is just here. And it creates an environment where men can do just that, support one another. Uh, that is really needed. So uh, hopefully there's more groups like that. Well, unfortunately, it's a very time and uh, energy intensive process to give men a safe place where they can work on these adverse childhood experiences. And and so it's very costly and hard to replicate. But there are efforts being made to do that around the country right now. Wow. Uh, is there any place on the Internet or somewhere where people can actually connect up with um, the group um, that you're talking about or some Yes, they have a group? website. Yes, they have a website, and all you have to do is Google Breakthrough for Men, uh, dot org. And uh, and it'll come up. God, good. Um, so, um, in, in your in introduction, we were t we talked about how you speak to groups. If somebody's listening and would like to have you come to their group, um, can they just contact you? Because your message yes, is they can. Wonderful. I do have I do have a public relations firm uh, that I work through. And uh, her name is, is Barbara Howard, who handles uh, my account. And so it, it's uh, bhprmarketing.com. Would you say that again one more time? Yes, it's bh, as in Barbara Howard, uh -huh. uh, pr, as in public relations, marketing.com. Okay. And I also have a website, which is truenorthbytomnorth.com. And on that, I, I do blog regularly on subjects related to what we're talking about now. And um, also on personal growth issues. Um, I, I just wrote a blog on uh, the, the five values of daily meditation and uh and so um I do that regularly and there's also a resource guide on the website so if if any of your listeners feel that they would like to get help they can go to truenorthbytomnorth.com and the resource guide will help them find someone in their area Great. Well, with all of this, um, are you planning on writing another book? Well, I am writing another book now. Uh, I think I have about 12 books in me, uh, but you can only take one at a time. And uh, and so the, the next book is, uh, the working title of it is The um, Economics of Spiritual Transformation. And it's the 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 idea behind that is really about uh, how we manage our own personal energy. You know, in, in macroeconomics, we talk about the interactions between large systems, 
like big corporations and, and states and countries and so on. In microeconomics, we talk about how we manage our own checkbook and how we manage a household and our own personal economic activity. So in the economics of spiritual transformation, I'm talking about how we manage our own personal energy uh, through our chakra system. Well, that sounds like a, it's going to be a very helpful book. Well, I hope. <laughs> it's it's not <laughs> out yet. And do you see people um, using that book for workshops? Yes, yes. Perfect. I intend to, to create a, a workshop series around that and uh, and bring in experts. I know a lot of people who are in the, the uh, mental and spiritual health uh, world and uh, so it, it should be uh, a very interesting uh, journey. Okay, do you, if the listeners out there, if, if you thought that they needed to uh, hear one thing from our interview today, what would you tell them? I, you know, that's uh, thank you for asking that question because I think the most in important message of of my book is that in spite of what we may have experienced as children it is possible to take the broken pieces of a life and put them back together and become a happy healthy productive human being and that we are not alone uh unfortunately childhood trauma it it tends to foster isolation and a feeling of guilt and shame that we're somehow responsible for what happened to us. And it's just not necessarily the case. Um, and, and that's the message of the book, is that you're not alone and uh, there is help if you want it. Yeah, you-, uh, you actually had um, 10 tips to offer on ways to promote a strong family. Bond. I do. And uh, would you share uh, that with us? Sure. Um, actually, I've added an 11th. Uh, okay. So, yeah. So, the you know, the most important thing that we can do during the holidays uh, as families get together is is make sure it's a positive experience. And remember that we're creating memories for the future. And so this is not a time to get together and do family therapy, you know, with with our uh, extended family whom we may or may not like at all. Uh, so this is a time to just simply keep it positive as much as is possible. Um, and one of the things that we can do is take time to look at family photographs, uh, talk about our relatives, you know, even those who are gone, um, and, and it doesn't have to be in a positive light. Uh, if, we have, if we have negative emotions around this, well, okay, that may be our reality at the moment. Uh, but it should be an opportunity to recognize that maybe we need to do some work around that. Um, it would be important to share family stories. The narrative, again, as I mentioned a little bit ago, 
the individual and family narrative is so important to people's sense of identity. And so telling stories of grandparents and relatives and ancestors, uh, remembering past holidays and, and humorous anecdotes is very, very important. Um, and then, and then celebrating those, you know, the holidays and birthdays with relatives is, is critically important, uh, again, to develop those healthy relationships. And then creating a space during the holidays for children to develop healthy relationships with their cousins. And I talk about that simply because uh, I was denied that opportunity to know and, and share time and space with my relatives. And it wasn't until this year, 2014, that I finally went to a North family reunion and was able to connect with cousins that I had never known. Ooh. Yeah. And so very, very powerful experience. Um, so, you know, if, if we start a family notebook and, or a family website or uh, someplace where family members can contribute special items, pictures and poems, and, and other documents, maybe a, a genealogy, which is very, very popular in America. So this is a very important uh, way to stay connected. Um, and then, of course, network in the community. We, ha we all have the Internet now, and we can stay connected on Facebook or, or LinkedIn and a number of the other uh, social media, and, and that's very powerful. Um, and then learn about our family life in other parts of the world. Uh, you know, we're all immigrants in this country, uh, or the majority of us are. And so we all have history, uh, and that brings in the genealogy again. Um, and, and it's so important to remember that every single day we are creating memories for tomorrow and that we're constantly going over that memory in our unconscious mind and giving children the opportunity to pass on their own narrative and the family's narrative is so critical to their own sense of personal identity. And the last one is always ask yourself when you're dealing with anyone, especially relatives and family members during the holiday, where, where is the love in this interaction? And that brings up the issue of compassion with our family. This is a time to give us ourselves and them an opportunity to build positive bridges and, and just ask yourself, where's the love in this interaction? And that will keep us on the right track. Mm. Wow. So there they are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that's really great because we're heading around the corner uh, at Christmas time and uh, where many people join with each other and and um, uh, it's so important to remember. Uh, yeah. We, yeah, when there's a lot of people together, we kind of forget mainly what this purpose is about and, you know, to make it, like you say, very joyful because this carries forward in, uh, in years to come. Well, and, you know, that raises some issues around the holidays, Holidays are generally very stressful times for people. It's economically stressful uh, because a dollar doesn't go as far as it used to. And, and so, you know, we're in a position of, 
of having to buy gifts maybe for people who we, who we like or don't like. And maybe we're in a situation where we have family members that, that perhaps have uh, addiction problems and that creates stress for everyone else in the family. And so I, I have very few positive memories of the, the Christmas holidays in the Beardsley family. It was a time of conflict and depression for me. And a lot of people experience that uh, simply because of the conflicts in their own families. So I'm not advocating that you be uh, disingenuous during the holiday season. I'm advocating finding a way to be positive. And if you can't find a way to be positive, then make a note of that and realize that they, you have some personal emotional and psychological work to do around that. Well, Tom, we only have a few minutes left, so let's uh, give out your website again and um, and where people can get sure. the book. Yeah, sure. So, of course, the book is, is True North, The Shocking Truth About Yours, Mine, and Ours. And it's available wherever books are sold. You can buy it on Amazon at, uh, at most bookstores. Uh, or you can buy it on my website, which is True North by TomNorth.com. And if you buy the book on the website, I donate 10% of the proceeds of sale to CASA, which is Court Appointed Special Advocates for Children. And this is a national organization that does wonderful work to help children who find themselves in the foster care program. You know, this is just, it is so heartwarming to have you with us even with your story, it just brings forth that we we all can learn how to nurture ourselves to a higher degree, and our and those around us as well. Uh, what you've done, I I really this is just magnificent. I, I I personally, you know, thank you so much for this magical experience we've had with you today. This frequency when sheer truth is exposed and delivered with a loving kindness. It's truly an enabler for individuals to be nurtured and and to allow for those tied cobweb nerves to be released and building resilience and character in in people and um, so that they can help others. It's, um, you know, thank you for what you've done. And just I also would like to say at this time, um, don't forget to get back to us. We'd like to uh, to interview with you again um, regarding your next book. It sounds very um, productive. Well, thank <laughs> you. People. Yeah, it's been a wonderful experience being on your show. So thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you, Tom. You have a beautiful, beautiful holiday. And um, thank you for helping us raise consciousness and in all areas to all our listeners as well. God bless. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. And and I wish you just a wonderful, love-filled holiday season. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.